episode 221, How to Get Dr. Google to Actually Help Clinicians and Their Patients. Today, I speak with Chris Coleman. American healthcare entrepreneurs and executives you want to know. Talking. Relentlessly seeking value. Dr. Google has a bad rap in some healthcare circles. If you doubt my words, go on Instagram and do a search for doing battle with Dr. Google. Spoiler alert, you'll get some ninja warriors and scrubs. But let me give you a tip. Pretending Dr. Google does not exist or telling patients to quit it with the internet, these are tactics that are always followed by a hashtag doomed. The best way to help your healthcare brand, your organization, and clinicians and patients is to ensure that patients can find credible, accurate content on the internet, which they will be searching for whether you like it or not. (laughs) Another way to help your healthcare brand, your organization, and clinicians and their patients is to help patients and their families better process and use the information that they do find on the internet. Today, I speak with Chris Coleman about these topics. Chris is the head of innovation and engagement over at Guidemark Health. Chris also curates a great Twitter and LinkedIn feed. You can find him online at Coleman, and that's with two L's and two N's. The Relentless Health Value podcast is sponsored by Aventria Health Group, and my name is Stacy Richter. Welcome to Relentless Health Value, Chris. Thank you so much for inviting me on the podcast. We could talk about a lot of things today. So let's confine ourselves to a small topic, the internet. Tiny topic. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Specifically, (laughs) how people are searching the internet for healthcare information. This is a thing? This is so much a thing. We are finding search and the internet really being where everyone starts from the health and wellness questions to managing chronic illnesses, to managing rare diseases and finding their communities. Does anyone deny that patients are, and consumers and just people, are on the internet searching for health information? Like, does anyone think that that is not true? I think you're going to be hard-pressed to find the marketer, the real modern physician, the everyday you know physician who doesn't fall into a statistical anomaly, and the patient not agreeing with that. But what we do find is when it comes to producing the content, the belief that putting good content and really having discoverability as one of those tenants doesn't have a real return on investment. That's where I think we find the real big disconnect in our industry of what we know to be true and actually having evidence that creating good content results in a more well-educated patient, a more well-educated caregiver, and really a better quality of dialogue in the physician's office. What you're saying is that nobody denies that people are searching on the internet for health and wellness. Where the controversy comes in the picture is whether people searching the internet is ever going to result in anything good. Like, does searching the internet mean that a patient, I mean, let's just a little bit of background. No one denies, you know, here's another unequivocal, inarguable fact at this juncture, engaged patients do better. 
If you have a patient who is not engaged, don't expect much. I I guess what I'm understanding from what you're saying is that we've got two camps. One is the camp that says patients who are searching the internet are engaged and therefore will do better. And another camp that says people who are searching the internet are, that doesn't necessarily mean they're engaged and therefore don't hold your breath. Yeah. I I mean, that's exactly it. I mean, where the rubber hits the road, and I spend a lot of time in as a guest in client conference rooms talking about the importance of paid search. You know, we have a, you know, a lot of healthcare brands that they put a website into market and, you know, hey, our website's there. Why aren't patients engaging with them? But they don't really look at the user journey as being one of, well, have you ever Googled your disease state? Yeah. What happens when they do that? So, you know, if I go on the internet and I search for pick something, multiple sclerosis or yeah. I, CRPD, knows, right? COPD, like w- yeah. what am I going to get? Several years ago, I came to the epiphany in, in doing this with a client that, you know, you search for a brand and COPD, and one of the most popular links was literally a guy standing in a, what I'm assuming to be a pharmacist, later proved to be a pharmacist, um, standing in a supply closet, talking about the drug at a level of detail and with very lay terms, but very thoroughly how the drug worked and how to break open the nebulizer in such a way that patients shouldn't be afraid of it. This is the sound it makes when you break open the nebulizer. This is how you depress it for the first time. This is how you shake it. Nowhere in any of the brand materials was this covered, and it was a very popular video. And from you know our analysis, it was getting four to five times the click-through and quite a few views in regards to viewers actually watching the majority of the video. Their default brand ambassador was a guy standing in a closet, you know, like this, what seemed to be a completely lay person and really expressing, not with any brand benefit, that this is how this works and getting a lion's share of the voice in the channel. That's like, hey, that's incredibly funny. But at the same time, the brand manager was completely frightened, was like, well, what about all the marketing? Well, the other issue there, and it's awesome that the guy standing in the closet with a light bulb chain dangling in front of him. (laughs) You've seen it. Just picturing it in my mind was actually a pharmacist providing accurate information. But what if it was some guy with a tinfoil hat? I could see why that would frighten anyone who was in the business of providing really accurate healthcare information. Another example is a very popular diabetes injectable that there's uh, literally a patient, you know, a frustrated patient who didn't find the information about how to use an injector pen is literally shirtless in his living room explaining how the product works quite thoroughly, including information about access. And he wasn't violating anything that would, you know, you could possibly even serve a takedown. And, you know, in my opinion, you know, outside of being, you know, shirtless Shirtless. in his living room was was (laughs) going through quite a, a great level of detail about the product and was really had his program completely optimized for search. And, you know, the algorithm was rewarding it because it was getting a lot of views. Which is such a funny thing, because in the normal world, that would be exactly what you would want to have happen. People pay Instagrammers to do exactly that and clap and pat themselves on the back when they've got influencers out in the marketplace who are promoting their brands. We so much want to control, for, for good reason, we want to control that dialogue. But I think, you know, here's an opportunity of nobody's response was, how do I put better content in the market or leverage this person who's making good content and help create a better construct as to how that's presented. Everyone's response is, I need that taken down. 
Well, the fact of the matter is that that content is serving such an important purpose in educating a patient population. And the reason why it was popular is because it's serving a purpose because the content is great. It was actually talking about a little bit of how it worked and a little bit about how he was able to successfully make injections without any of the typical side effects of, uh, you know, swelling in the area through hydration. In the old days, what a brand was, the brand proposition was what the brand said. Nowadays, it's not what the brand says. It's what people are saying about the brand that constitutes the brand message. And I think that's where we're headed here and something that, you know, maybe a consumer brand at this juncture understands very well, but perhaps healthcare brands do not. I think it's a lesson that is starting to take traction and it's informed by, you know, a lot of different things. I think a lot of brand managers really don't understand the role of content and how it's discovered. You know, a really good example is, is some of the most successful content that our industry puts into market is the prescribing information. Why? That, you know, brand managers, you know, sometimes appalled by that. And what you're referring to there is just the little like fold up thing that comes with the, yeah. there's no pictures, it's black and white, it's got mechanism of action drawings, it's in six point type, that. <laughs> It is one of the most valuable pieces of content that any brand has in market because it is what the manufacturer has the authority and the permission for both the physician audience and all professional audiences as well as the patient as to what is my relationship to this drug? What does it do? What has it been approved to do? What are the potential side effects? How does it relate to me? And most people who are patients and even I think a lot of physicians really don't have the patience to go through that in a level of granularity and there's a huge opportunity in creating lay terminology around that specifically and still have it be not brand benefit, but prescribing information. And I'm sure there's parallels with that outside the, because you're talking specifically about pharmaceutical brands right now. But if you're any other healthcare product or service, there's probably an equivalent. There's going to be a document somewhere that goes through something in insane amounts of detail and six point type that this would also apply to. It is literally what Consumer Reports made quite an industry out of, basically summarizing those points and creating comparisons that were consumable for your consumer audiences. I think a lot of my years of practice is, I think people are very surprised how lay the terminology is that physicians use when they begin searching. It is really almost indiscernible for a lot of physician audiences from the consumer until they, you know, they very quickly go on that education journey. They become health literate for a specific uh, product or disease a lot more uh, efficiently than a consumer because they've been trained to understand the scientific principles and they've been trained in what's essentially the lexicon of, of healthcare. You know, I think that's an important thing to look at when any brand that's putting an organic search plan together, SEO, but also when they actually begin doing the paid marketing, the paid programs, the ads that you see in search results as they appear in Google as to, you know, what are the terms that are going to springboard into dialogue? What are the terms that are going to allow me to onboard an audience and really lead them to the level of knowledge about my products or the disease state that they need to know to make a a very educated decision? If a brand is not really making an investment of time and money in ensuring the information that surfaces first about their particular product, service, disease state, 
If that's not happening, then what's going to happen is the interwebs will control what surfaces. And it might be a pharmacist in a supply closet or a guy without his shirt, in either case, giving good information. But it also might be some conspiracy theorist who's giving completely wrong information. And that's one of the reasons why perhaps patients who walk in with info from Dr. Google are such a difficult conundrum, maybe, is a way to put it, for healthcare professionals. Exactly. The familiar analysis, a good example is, you know, in the oncology space, you just search on YouTube for and your specific oncology topic and, and cure, for instance, and you will find a hodgepodge of holistic solutions, miracle cures that get monumental amounts of traffic relative to pieces that are designed to address patient education that are produced by pharmaceutical companies or even produced by organizations like the Mayo Clinic or uh, New York Presbyterian, you know, that come to mind in particular, right? Or here's another one. Search on vaccines. You know, one one of the first things uh, in my experience and really, you know, when digital really got moving inside of uh, the organization I was working in at the time was we were running a vaccines campaign specifically for a professional audience at a very controlled spend, you know, very professional, you know, searches is a very conservative spend. And um, it was right at the time when Jenny McCarthy went on The View to talk about vaccines and within hours the cost per click, which is essentially how the pricing model works in for paid search, completely skyrocketed. And we were getting a ton of traffic to a you know healthcare professional dialogue site for ordering you know vaccines in volume. You know, on one hand it's great, and the second hand it was completely irrelevant traffic. And it essentially removed any possibility of, of marketing campaign in the near term, both for display as well as paid search, because all of those criteria were behaviorally based against the audiences who are engaging in content about vaccines. Right. And I think that's very, you know, very much true today if you're running a vaccines campaign. It's like, how do I market to my audience when the market has so much noise in it? that isn't either clinically relevant or is so much focused on public opinion or policy. When I want to service, you know, a particular physician audience in regards to their ability to make a choice about which vaccine they want to stock and how they want to approach the market. And that's sad if you think about it, that if you are a medical society, you are a patient advocacy group, you are a pharmaceutical product, you are a hospital, and you have very credible evidence-based material that would be exactly right for a patient in the situation that that patient is in at this moment to get their hands on. But yet the noise of the internet is so loud that patients cannot find the good stuff amidst the clutter. This is really one of the biggest challenges in producing content in our industry is the signal to noise ratio is incredibly difficult. The flip side of that, as an industry, we do a terrible job at actually <laughs> serving that up in a digestible way. You know, Google has a model of the uh, information period. At the top of the pyramid is the the hero, the center, and w- what makes up a you know majority of that content be the hub, and the the bottom and the base of that is the help. For a lot of brands inside of you know traditional consumer goods, you know you start to see the hero and the hub being a lot of the narrative. It's what you see in commercials. The hero is you know really your your brand's claim and your uh, your positioning in the market, that hub content 
content is what the brand can do and how it's relevant to you. And in some instances, it could be coupons. And that help content is what you see in, in other industries, how influencers would serve up your messaging, how they would talk about the value of your brand relative to their needs, reviews, feedback from you know, your consumer audience. And I think as an industry, we really need to focus on that hub and help model and make sure it's digestible so that when the patient's physicians, the caregivers, the payers, the medical educators all come into that hub model, they're going to be so much in a so much better space to be able to accept and find, you know, alignment with that hero message. And that's really where I think we need to focus from a content strategy standpoint as an industry and really think about what that looks like moving forward. How I'm taking this, Chris, if we really want to help physicians and other advanced practice clinicians in the exam room, if we really want to help make sure that patients who are searching the internet, because they're going to search the internet. Absolutely. That cow is out of the barn. I'm not sure what that cliche is. Um, <laughs> some livestock. I'm a city girl. <laughs> so patients are definitely going to search the internet. If we want to help the clinician in the exam room at this time ensure that Patients who are curious and who want to be engaged, because if they didn't want to be engaged, they wouldn't be searching the internet. So, you know, their intent They're is hand raisers. Yeah. If we want to help those patients become engaged in a helpful and meaningful way, then one of the best things that we can do is ensure that when they are searching the internet, they are getting to a good place. Is that a key takeaway of this conversation? It's absolutely critical. If someone is searching at any given point for either disease, a brand, dosing information, even the health provider, that is the most opportune time. You know, that's somebody saying, I'm not only interested in this topic, I'm actively engaged in educating myself. And to be able to take that is one of the most important parts of the journey. This is someone who's taking responsibility and culpability for their own education and turning to the open internet for answers. And if for the brands that aren't there, both with strong content, with paid search, so that they rank high in search results, and for an engagement model, whether or not it's it's strong landing pages that are going to convert that interest into a narrative, or partnering with advocacy groups, partnering with people who can tell a strong narrative and update that narrative and make it timely, that is a huge missed opportunity, both in dialogue, in establishment of, of lexicon so they can, have a, they can have a dialogue with their physician. So if I'm a, let's just say, you know, healthcare provider, I know that is a controversial term these days, knowing that there is good content out there and knowing that patients may be struggling to find it, do you have any advice to healthcare professionals who are out there to assist their patients who are going to be on the internet anyway to find the good stuff? I think the, the critical step is to pretend you're a patient. If you're an endocrinologist, you know, how frequently you searching diabetes and diabetes brands, specifically the brands that you're prescribing. You know, are you familiar with what Dr. Oz said last week? Are you familiar with something that was published on 
on an advocacy site or on the Mayo Clinic. A really great example of Google really, you know, taking a leadership position here is if you search for any disease, you know, call it diabetes, call it AFib, on the right-hand side of your search results, you'll see this knowledge graph, this knowledge box, which will have curated information, much of it from the Mayo Clinic at this point, and typically an illustration of what that may look like. It's a great summary, and I think a very fair summary and great content about that specific disease. And in many instances, there are actually brands mentioned. You know, are you able to compete with that from a succinctness, from a clarity of description and message? And then how do you fit into that narrative? Because that is going to, especially for on a mobile device that actually comes ahead of the primary listings, you know, are you able to fit into that narrative? Do you understand it? And for the physician, and coming back specifically to your question is, you know, do you agree with it for a patient who's very likely to repeat some of this back to you? What is your take on it? Do you agree with it wholeheartedly? Is it a yes and conversation? This is something you've read, but my opinion, and you know, you're my patient and I'm completely consumed with you know, your care. This is how I feel about this. Let's talk about it. You've missed those opportunities in making the patient feel as though there's a relationship there and that you really do have empathy or you understand what it's like to you just diagnosed me last week with, you know, this chronic disease and, you know, I'm suffering. At least have some understanding of what this journey is like for me. Those are really um, palpable engagement points where the physicians can not only engage, uh, you know, have a lot of credibility, but really make a connection with their patients and saying, I understand what your journey is like. Yeah, for sure. As opposed to I was on Instagram the other day and there was a photograph of a woman in scrubs. I'm not sure exactly what her <laughs> role was. She was like posed like a ninja with two syringes in both hands and, and some sort of sharp medical device in her mouth. And she said something like, you know, I'm getting ready to do battle with Dr. Google. My patient is ready to fight me with information they compiled off the internet. So, you know, <laughs> I'm going in there for a tussle. Obviously, that's one way to approach this as, as a fight. Another way to think about it is that we're all on one team. Patients are trying really hard to educate themselves, and it might be frustrating, and there's going to be combative patients. But yeah, this is something we got to work through, right? The idea of, of combative, you know, I think some of the best tools that I've seen put into market, and I, I, to be honest, I've seen a lot of it in print and not seen it put into market from a digital standpoint, making it accessible, are how do you have better dialogue with your physician? You know, like here are five questions to ask your physician. If you're planning to put a campaign in place that's supposed to help a patient on board, you know, they've just been diagnosed with a or they've just been prescribed, or they're just asking questions about, you know, uh, any particular disease, you know, here are five things to ask your physician so that you are both on the same page in regards to um, a therapy or approach or a particular style. Those are things that can only benefit in better dialogue. Those are things that can only benefit in there being a level of participation from the patient side that's only going to help with compliance, that's only going to help with recovery or treatment or a healthy attitude towards managing their illness. And if the patients are articulating through their own voice, you're only in a better place. You're only in a situation where that sense of ownership over their disease, that's, that interest in preservation can be activated into not just a more engaged patient, but somebody who can help you understand what's going on when you're not in front of them from a healthcare professional standpoint. So let me throw a wrinkle in this conversation, Chris. Voice. Yes, it's a big one, both from the connected devices that we have at home and voice search, which is becoming increasingly more popular using your phone, um, asking, you know, if you, uh, you know, ask Google, 
tell me about diabetes. Hey, Google, I was just diagnosed. Those are semantic questions that, you know, if you have a, an Alexa in your home, I, you know, I, I personally do. And you begin talking with Alexa, not as a person, but their, their personality in your home because you're talking every morning, you ask the news, you might ask the time, the weather, your children may engage with it, and it becomes this personality. Well, look at, the, look at this through the lens of, of a patient who's just been diagnosed. What does that response look like? And in particular, if you're going to think very long term, like, hey, it's warm out today, it's early, you should go for a walk. You don't have an appointment for two hours. It's a perfect window to go for a walk to. It's kind of late for you to have something to eat. You'd be better off waiting till morning. But you know, like, what are those activation points and how do we begin using them? And also from the brand, you're not going to get a, there's no second search result for voice. Yeah, I was just going to say that, you know, it's not like you can click through the results. You know, you ask Alexa a question and she gives you one answer. Worked with one brand that, you know, they had to just put a, uh, an injectable pen in the market and nowhere in any of their brand marketing materials did they answer the question, what is brand X pen? It just was not addressed. And that would be one of the things you would think it would be with first patient questions is what is this? I was just prescribed this. I'm walking home with a script. I, I walked home with this with the box, the first run product. Like, what is it? How do I use it? And this is where you end up with, you know, a shirtless guy on a table you know, late at night under a <laughs> lamp talking about your products because you've never put anything in the market that literally answers that question. And those are the things that are going to rank high in search. Those are the things that are going to show up high because they semantically, they naturally address the question that was provoked by the person's request. And uh, oddly enough, this brand did answer this question, but it was through their corporate PR group and inside of the, their, their manufacturer US webpage, they answered that in the press release. And it ranks very high in search. It actually made it into the knowledge box, which is the small collection of, of you know, people asked this question and quoted the manufacturer website. In, so I could probably count on my hands the number of times that a manufacturer has been quoted in organic search results in the knowledge box. It, we just don't tend to write things that way. And it was a huge learning, but also, you know, a little bit of common sense, right? What are the questions somebody's going to ask when they um, either prescribe the product? What are the questions they're going to ask when they've been pro prescribed the product? And if you're not in that space, somebody is going to be. If you know something really well, sometimes you forget the basics. You get too fancy, right. too fast. I'll tell you, Chris, though, one thing that Alexa can do. If you say to Alexa, Alexa, play the Relentless Health Value podcast on iHeartRadio. She hops too. She does. I just want to let you know. Popular playlist in my house. <laughs> but you did drop a thought in what you were saying, which is that there is a gap in the marketplace relative to payers, or as I like to call them, insurance carriers. What did you mean by that? There's not a lot of quality content. You know, we you talk about conferences, we talk about direct mail communications and account managers who are interacting with those larger you know, there's an economy of scale here in regards to content. But if you really look for any of the subject matter around the payer space, there's not a lot of truly well curated content inside of that space that is refreshed with any regularity, but that even addresses the needs of someone who's, you know, helping manage an IDN or a large hospital or even a mid-sized practice. 
there's just not a lot of content there that either acts as a surface area in order to to really educate them through you know an advertising based model, but also there's just a lack of leadership and stewardship of dialogue in that area. And I think that's um you know unsowed grounds for our industry, and especially given how important the payer is to the larger healthcare narrative in the U.S. I mean, it's it's certainly been a perpetual topic for the last two or three years of the current White House and Congress and Senate. But I think it's going to be an increasingly more important issue as we have the silver tsunami, which is you know becoming increasingly more important as well as the health economics associated with that. But also a new audience of more savvy patient who's currently very well, that the economics of the situation are going to be critical as they begin to raise families, as they begin to age themselves. Summarizing the takeaway there, if I'm an insurance carrier out in the market right now, I might start thinking about the information that I am or not putting out onto the internet and start really thinking about my narrative and how I can impact the perception of my brand and also educate on really necessary areas of healthcare. Like, for example, as you mentioned, the economics of healthcare are there's many people who abandon therapy because they can't afford it. So having financial education is becoming more and more critical as well. Yeah, that, that's exactly it. I, you had a, I think it was the last podcast, the podcast before, you know, really going over uh, rebates and the, the level of sophistication that's required in order to understand how pharmaceutical pricing is working. There, there's a very complex story here. And if you come back down to what is palatable to the consumer, to your patient, and even to a lot of physicians, you know, you, you don't see the manufacturers that are another's position where they could really have a lot of authority, right? Which is, yes, I can talk about reimbursement. I can tell you how my pricing model works. When you begin to unwrap this, like there, there really is no due east in regards to who's leading these conversations. And at a professional level in particular, there really is no, you know, authoritative, you know, a Medscape for the uh, WebMD Medscape for the payer space. You know, there really is not one of these content magnates that are going to be able to attract a lot of attention and for there to be, you know, like this is the source that you, you go to for information specifically about the modern payer issue. What is the advantage to an insurance carrier of putting that content out there? Like, why would they bother? Having a much more well-educated patient who understands the decision-making process around everything from choosing their insurer at their place of work or to understanding what their options are if they aren't insured through private insurance are all critical parts of the, the health literacy model. Like health literacy is not just about, you know, your actual wellness and the diseases you suffer, but like when it gets down to decision-making processes, and unfortunately, there are a lot of Americans who make a decision not to pursue therapy because it's too expensive. The pricing models around this and the affordability model around this is is critical for people's perception of a wellness visit, going to the physician, going to a specialist, receiving care, and also doing some of those behavioral changes that help lessen the burden on medications like regular exercise, good diet. I'm being you know divisively reductive in 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 that. I, I don't want to be dismissive of a lot of chronic therapies which can't be fixed with a walk around the block, but um, you, you know it's it's all wrapped up into the same ideology around people wanting to be well and participate in the decision-making process, both independently in the decisions they make day-to-day in their lives and also the decisions they make around therapies and, and solutions with their, uh, with their physicians. So the opportunity for insurance carriers is then from a, let's just say, physician standpoint to put 
uh, information out into the marketplace about how, you know, why policies are what they are. From a patient standpoint, it sounds like there's two streams of potential action. One of them would be to help patients care for themselves, good disease management information that might be missing from the marketplace, but then also financial literacy, that there could potentially be a gap out there as well. And then a third, which I'm going to tack on there, about you know how to use your benefits, <laughs> um, yeah. how to get a wellness visit, how to you know get a colonoscopy without surprise billing, for example. You know, all of those things are potential gaps and therefore opportunities for insurance carriers in the marketplace to both differentiate themselves as well as to retain members, it sounds like. Absolutely. Where can people find out more about GuideMark Health and the work that you are doing there, Chris? So we are a healthcare communications agency solely focused on pharmaceutical, biotech, and healthcare brands. In that capacity, I'm a head of innovation. So I help clients understand what their options are in emerging new media, existing media, better content strategy, you know, everything from banner ads, websites to the role of augmented reality and virtual reality in, in regards to telling those, those narratives, both to professionals and, and consumers. You can find us on uh, guidemarkhealth.com. You can also follow me on Twitter. There's a link to, uh, I don't speak for my employer on Twitter, but I think you'll find a lot of healthcare content there as well. Thank you so much for being on the Relentless Health Value podcast today, Chris. It was an absolute pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. Links to everything discussed on the program today can be found at RelentlessHealthValue.com. If you visit the website, RelentlessHealthValue.com, you will also find a complete listing of all of the shows that we have published thus far with leading entrepreneurs and executives in the healthcare space today. Another cool feature is, you know, you can subscribe to the show so that every week, the episode is automatically sent to you so you don't have to remember to go to the website to download it. Thanks so much for listening.